Hello everybody, my name's Karen Sims. Welcome to Monash University's My Cousin Has That podcast. Today we have Dr. Julie Monk with us, who is a Senior Clinical Trials Coordinator at Monash. Hello, Julie. Hi, Karen. And we have Associate Professor Joshua Uwe. Hello. Hello. I couldn't really talk about you in less than 100 words, so we might get you to talk about yourself in a minute. And as you know, we are talking about five big unattractive autoimmune diseases, lupus, type 1 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, Sjogren's syndrome, and rheumatoid arthritis. We talk about the definitions, symptoms, treatments, a few myths here and there we dispel, and what we all want to know, future directions in treatments and cures. So sit back and learn a lot, especially if your cousin has that. We do have a superb guest today. Her name is Dr. Sarah Snellgrove. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Thank you for having me. Anytime. We will hear from Josh first, and then we would like to hear a bit about your autoimmune story, if that's okay. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Happy to share. Okay. Josh, tell us a bit about your job. So I run the regulatory T-cell therapies lab here at Monash University. There are about 30 of us in the lab, and we're all very passionate about developing new therapies for various types of autoimmune diseases, including rheumatoid arthritis. The particular therapy that we work on is, is a type of cell therapy, which means we actually put cells, which are living things, into a patient and hopefully try to cure the disease. Because there's no cure at the moment, is there? There's treatments for a lot of autoimmune diseases to yeah. minimize symptoms, pain, fatigue, give yeah, people those their are, lives back. Yeah, those are lifelong treatments, which can be hard on yeah. different types of patients. Expensive, tiring, boring, it affects people's relationships, their yeah. careers, all sorts of things, where they can go on holiday, all of that. And perhaps, Julie, you work with Josh. Could you tell us a bit about what you do? Sure. So as Karen mentioned, I'm the Senior Clinical Development Coordinator and I work in Josh's group leading the charge to clinic. So Josh's team has done and is doing a lot of work in the lab to get this therapy ready for our first in-human clinical trial. And that'll be about a year or two away? Fingers crossed, yes, mm -hmm. a year or two. Okay. That's good. I'm sure you'll do it. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you for coming out on this day. People, we are in Melbourne, not our fault. It is freezing. <laughs> it is wet. It is grey. We're all a bit damp from having to run from the car park, but we are soldiering on. Sarah, could you please tell us a bit about your autoimmune journey? Yeah, for sure. The funny thing, I do feel like the world works in mysterious ways. It's a year ago sorry, it's 10 years ago next week that my life was turned a little bit upside down. Mm -hmm. So for me, as it turns out, I have a genetic predisposition to rheumatoid arthritis and lupus with both my grandmothers suffering from either or. Mm -hmm. And I have an uncle that suffers quite badly from rheumatoid arthritis as mm -hmm. well. I had two young children and, you know, in close proximity. So I had a two-year-old and a newborn baby. Mm -hmm. That baby ended up in ICU with viral meningitis at four weeks of age, mm -hmm. which was obviously very stressful. Of course. When we got home from the hospital with her, it turns out that I had it as well. So that was also very difficult. And I just never recovered. Mm -hmm. So about three months after that, I knew something was wrong, went to my GP and had all the bloods. And I could only describe it as what I think arthritis would feel like, but I don't know because mm -hmm. I don't have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, waking up so stiff in the mornings. 
I thought it was from pushing a double pram. <laughs> and I thought the lethargy and the fatigue was just from having two young children. Mm-hmm. But it did feel more than that. And it didn't budge. That was it. Exactly mm-hmm. right. So I have heard people speak about feeling a particular joint to start with. And for me, it was my top left shoulder. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, it's pushing that heavy pram. But it should have got better. And it just didn't. <laughs> yeah. So I felt like I drank concrete. Right. Um, oh, yeah. we love a metaphor. We yeah, haven't had drinking concrete oh, yeah. before. Yeah. So thank you for well, that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was everything. I just felt like a solid brick and that would warm up as mm-hmm. I got up in the morning. I guess it would sort of melt away a little bit. If I was in a warmer climate, it would kind of melt away and then I would feel the pain in joints sort of sporadic. Mm-hmm. It's almost like electric shocks in different parts of your body. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, family being concerned and everything would ask where it hurt. And I'm like, yeah, all over. Yeah, all over. <laughs> or yeah, ask right me one minute. minute. Here and tomorrow morning might be completely different. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It could be from elbow to toes. How did that affect you psychologically? Yeah. So actually, once I got the diagnosis, because I was thinking all sorts of things. I'm a young mum. Mm. The children need me. Mm-hmm. One's a month old and one's not even two. And I did know that I was unwell. So when I got the diagnosis, I was upset, but I was relieved. Mm -hmm. That it wasn't anything else. Yeah. And it was something. It had a name. It had a name. So I could at least then work with that Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than the unknown. Mm -hmm. I had validity because... It was a real thing. It was a real thing. It wasn't just mum's tired. Mm. Yeah. I knew that there was medication available and I'd been assured, well, I was put in touch with a rheumatologist quite quickly, so I could Mm -hmm. get into them rather soon. That was complicated by the fact that I was quite adamant I didn't want to start any medication, given that I was breastfeeding a Mm -hmm. sick child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to give some context, she was born in April. This is August that I'm diagnosed. So she was only a few months old. So I started out on prednisolone, which is a steroid that Mm -hmm. is often given. And I now understand the term roid rage. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm quite a chilled, well, I'm a friendly person. Yes, Mm -hmm. super friendly. We're only saying that because we're scared. No, really, you're so friendly. (laughs) Yeah, and that affected me in ways that I really didn't need as someone who was struggling anyway. Right. But I could still breastfeed while I was on it. Mm -hmm. It came towards the December, and I guess that's, yeah, Azalea was about six months old by that stage. And at that point, I guess the biggest indication of how bad I was was I couldn't hold her mm-hmm. to breastfeed her. I couldn't put her into the cot because it was too low down. I couldn't hold my two-year-old. Mm-hmm. It was hard lifting them into the car. You couldn't buckle the seats. I couldn't. Yeah. I insisted on doing reusable nappies mm-hmm. in the washing machine mm-hmm. and they had clips. Yeah, and your <laughs> and hands didn't bend. And the hands didn't the bend clips. to do it with the yeah. clips, but I stuck with that <laughs> to my detriment. Everything, like I had to get zip up jumpsuits because I just couldn't do those studs, press studs that have yeah. 50 yes, press studs yes. down in the nappy region. Yes, I'm tiny sure. child and 50 <laughs> press studs. How does that work? <laughs> so essentially you weren't living the life that you wanted to live. No, that's right. And being yeah. a new mum, that can be really stressful because you feel embarrassed, I assume. And were you angry? I don't know that I was angry. I think I was pretty adamant from early on that I wasn't going to let it affect me with the kids because mm-hmm. I loved being a mum, had always wanted to be one. Mm-hmm. And I was quite defiant that I wouldn't let it get me down. 
mm-hmm. which probably meant that I didn't get the rest that I needed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had then started methotrexate in about that December because I realized the prednisolone just wasn't right for me. Mm-hmm. And with that methotrexate, it takes a while to kick in. I certainly felt better from it, but it rules out any further pregnancies while you're on it. Mm -hmm. So that was another mental hurdle for me because I really would have loved more children, Mm -hmm. but it just wasn't possible. Yeah. So that was hard. Of course. Probably for five years after that. (laughs) Because you're all like, you can't let go of that. You had plans Mm. in your head of what you thought would be, and that was really ruled out. Can I Um, just jump in? Josh, do you want to explain what methotrexate is? Not really. I'm sorry, I put you on the spot, didn't I? <laughs> I'm probably not the right person. Like, yeah. yeah. What I is it generally? I, I couldn't quite explain why it affects pregnancy. That, mm. yeah. It's yeah, tetragenic. Mm. Right. That, yeah. But it, it doesn't it support early. It's yeah. not a corticosteroid. Isn't it? It's an NSAID. Isn't it a um, form of chemotherapy? It is. So in a much lower dose. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's my pathetic contribution mm. for someone right. who never went to science <laughs> in school and never regrets it. So yeah. you are so brave because you've had to do a sharp U-turn about how those years were going to be for yourself. Yeah. And yeah. I guess being a patient wasn't your wasn't ideal, on my list of things. Yeah, yeah it wasn't on your yeah. list of things to do. Um, <laughs> I guess you had to go very quickly to accepting to being a patient. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And in those, there were dark days. I actually at one point thought, well, actually sort of, you know, there's the darker days where you're not thinking that you could do anything. But I had thought about keeping a diary and in some ways I wish I had, but I think it would have been really dark and it might have just emphasised mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. But looking back now at how far I've come, I kind of wish I had it to yeah. think, oh, wow, it really was that bad. Yes. So I did find things difficult. Like, Yeah, the life that I had wanted and to be so active with the kids and up and going about, I really had to, some days I thought, well, I can't physically get them in the car Mm -hmm. to meet that friend or I'd be daunted. I would have to just cancel, Mm -hmm. which I really didn't want to do. Yeah, so that sort of went through that period. And I was on the methotrexate for four years. Were you working at that time, Sarah? I remember you coming back part-time. I did. I came back after the year maternity leave. So in that time I was diagnosed and had started treatment. I did come back to work two days a week. (laughs) I actually don't know how. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're resilient and strong, I would say. In some ways it was something else to focus on and it's a different work compared Mm. to looking after the kids and it was a good balance for me. Yeah. Um, I we had wonderful. Interrupt. Well, actually, I interrupt um, <laughs> and explain. Um, Sarah works at Monash yeah. University with Josh and Julie, coincidentally. <laughs> so, um, yeah. if we, we didn't just go looking for scientists with autoimmune diseases, <laughs> but we seem to have come across a few. Yeah, so that's explanation. You um, you work with Josh and Julie. How do you think your journey may or may not have been impacted by being a scientist? Interesting. I think I became my own science experiment. So I think it actually really helped me to focus on me and what I needed. And it's funny that you say it because I actually changed 
rheumatologist. I didn't feel I had the connection with the first one. Mm -hmm. And and I went to another one that also had a uh, background in research and I knew from my own work. Mm -hmm. And she said those same words. She's like, you are the experiment. Like Mm -hmm. you're obviously thinking about this very analytically. Mm -hmm. And she really helped me and gave me the power to control yeah. Turns out I'm a control freak. I should well, have probably said that. I, at the I, start. I, don't, I don't think that there's so much wrong with that. Also, not a symptom of autoimmune disease, but <laughs> but it can be helpful because to have, I mean, some people have get a disease and they don't want to know about it and they don't look up Google. And if they're happy doing that, that's fine. But it sounds like you were different. You did have scientific knowledge. You wanted to be your own experiment so you could get the best possible outcome. Yeah. So. Not so bad being a control freak. <laughs> I can say that being one myself, so it's okay. Do you think there's any downside to understanding the science so well? So in terms of understanding the science, I wasn't really looking into it from a scientist's perspective mm-hmm. because I made a real point of separating my home life mm-hmm. and feeling unwell and coming to work, I've, which was also why I hadn't seen the particular rheumatologist at work initially. Right. Because right. Mm-hmm. I wanted that to be different and I wanted to be well and achieve at work, Mm -hmm. even though the cloud that was, okay, the main side effect of the methotrexate, although I felt better and I could move better, there were a lot of side effects and one of them is this fog, an absolute Mm -hmm. cloud, where I, even in returning to work, I knew how to do my job and the techniques I needed to use, which was, you know, a lot of intricate techniques within Mm -hmm. the lab. I could do A and B and mm-hmm. I knew they joined together, but I really couldn't make those connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was almost like if you've had really severe morning sickness where you yes, just can't. You just and then can't one day function. that lifts. Yeah, yeah. You just can't function. Yeah. And so did the brain fog lift after a while or did it stay the no, whole time? it was there the whole time I was on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I eventually, being my own experiment, had found that the side effects of the drugs that I was on were outweighing the benefit that I had, although I think that was required initially to, you know, stop the Mm -hmm. turmoil that was going on in my body. But fortunately, this rheumatologist that I then went to supported me in dropping back on the drugs, which did work for me because the side effects were that fog, Mm -hmm. but also like creepy, crawly skin. It would just come from nowhere. like formication. Oh, Mm. it's like you're in a horror movie. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it would just like run like all the hundreds of spiders are running up yeah, your back and yeah. that sort of thing. So I actually turned to a Chinese naturopath mm-hmm. and incorporated that kind of therapy as well, which was about movement, stimulating your immune system, mm-hmm. lots of detox, liver and kidney detox because of the drugs having mm-hmm. an effect on those mm-hmm. as well, which meant routine blood tests to keep on top of that. Right. Do any particular um, foods bother you? Probably food. <laughs> oh, okay. But so, you need some of it. Yeah, yeah. So anything, I'm still really careful. Yeah, any sort of preservatives, I really mm-hmm. just have to eat. Cleanly. Cleanly, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So in some ways, it just makes you be the best version of yourself yeah. because you have to be. Well, that science um, experiment that you talked about, <laughs> you're doing a good job, yeah. What about alcohol? Yeah, I can't drink. But I, I wasn't drinking beforehand either. Did as a young chap. 
a young lass. <laughs> like Might have exactly. overdone it. Mm-hmm. So it was already, and then with the pregnancies and things, was already not drinking. So for me, that wasn't something that I had to give up. Right. But I have been through every diet plan and, you know, they talk about red meat and tomatoes and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. So I have really stripped back to a really basic diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite controlled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Enter control freak. Yes. <laughs> I have heard of many people with RA not being able to consume tomatoes. Yeah. I think they just have pro-inflammatory properties. Right. And so we know three out of every four people who have an autoimmune disease are women. What are your symptoms these days now? So these days, I'm fortunately now completely drug-free. I don't take any medication anymore, which has been amazing. I and all my you know, blood tests and everything are fantastic, so I'm really in remission. Mm-hmm. I say to my husband, if he thought I was high maintenance before, <laughs> I really am now. Mm-hmm. So I have to maintain the exercise, sleep, eating well. Mm-hmm. But it is still, and I've only realized this recently with talking to someone else, that it's a new normal. Like it's not what I was before I got the diagnosis. I don't think I'll ever feel that again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's a level that I can deal with. It is still sore, like I probably am sore head to toe on some level. Yeah. And I'm like a dog and I sense a storm. Mm-hmm. So changes in the weather. Yeah. You know, when the rains are coming mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. yeah, through spring when it's windy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, like a barometer. I'm like I yeah, am. A yeah. barometer. Yeah. yeah, I'm like mm-hmm. a little bit sore now. Yeah. yeah. But you know when you get a symptom or there's a big change in the weather, you know that there's something you can do to look after yourself and you now make sure you do that. Yeah. Yeah, I sort of realise when I need more rest or, Mm -hmm. yeah, stress Mm. is a trigger. Well, yeah, and it's funny that you call yourself high maintenance because I don't think that is high maintenance, but, you know, a lot of people look after themselves and don't call themselves high maintenance. You know, like you are fully entitled to rest (laughs) when you are tired, (laughs) eat when you're hungry, you know, those kind of things. You brought up your husband and he's not here to defend himself, so (laughs) let's go in hard. How did he take your diagnosis and the subsequent changes that happened in your lives? So he is a very, very positive person. Mm -hmm. So that has been really good. This is going to sound really terrible, but before I was diagnosed, he was diagnosed a year earlier after our first child. (laughs) So it turns out three probably would have been a bad idea. (laughs) Um, He has ulcerative colitis Mm -hmm. and is on lifelong medication Mm -hmm. managed through diet and exercise as well. He's like a robot. He's very routine mm-hmm. and, but actually his mentality of not being oversympathetic, mm-hmm. like understanding, but not mm-hmm. mollycoddling me yeah. or anything. Like, yeah. yeah, he's always very forward. Mm-hmm. So. How do you find that? I think it's exactly what I needed because oh, if he good. had have been like, oh no, we shouldn't do that. Because mm-hmm. in actual fact, for me, if I'm sore I need to move, Mm -hmm. like sitting in bed would actually make me feel worse. I almost need to melt away the aches. Mm -hmm. Maybe a sauna is a better idea than a hike, but we do a lot of of hiking Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, and Mm -hmm. that really helps. Mm -hmm. So you sort of get past that sore, and then, you know, everything can kind of limber up. That is better for me. So, no, he's been amazing and understanding and, yeah, taken on a lot of challenges Mm -hmm. himself. That's good, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've heard of more and more people getting a sauna put in in their house. 
It's on the list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like the idea of a sauna. Yeah. I just would want every room to be a sauna, though. I wouldn't want to ever get out of the sauna. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would hibernate. Can I ask a question, Sarah? Because yeah. like, you understand immune-mediated disease. Do you ever explain to your children what an autoimmune disease is? I haven't. And in telling them I was coming in to do this podcast, my youngest cried saying, are you sick, mum? I didn't realise I'd never Uh, talked about about it. it. Yeah, because that's another key point in my journey (laughs) was deciding that I didn't want to be the person that talked about it or having it. Just because when it was so bad, it was the forefront of my mind and you know, you'd catch up with friends and they'd ask how you are and you're like, mm. <laughs> mm. terrible. Mm-hmm. And then there was just, yeah, I remember it quite clearly. I thought, oh, I don't want to be that person. So as much as I can talk about it, I don't want to dwell on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which may then translate to actually realising now that I've never even, I mean, the children are now 11 and 10. Mm. I've never told them. Do you worry about... The future for your children, given the family history that's on both sides? Only now yeah. that we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but it actually, yeah, it makes me think I, yeah, I will have the conversation with them now that they can better understand. But yeah, that's, yeah, it, yeah, it does weigh on me now. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's another... Another little side project for us, Josh, children's books on autoimmune yes, diseases. Yes, absolutely, explaining it well. Yeah. yeah, call it my mum has that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And my dad has this. Oh, my dad has this. <laughs> my cousin has that. Perhaps we should, at this juncture, discuss why we call our podcast My Cousin Has That. And it's layered, and I'm happy for your input and opinions. It's often the case when people talk about a condition, not as, not as being a martyr or not, you know, wanting to sabotage the party by, you know, let's talk about my whatever. When it's mentioned that someone has a condition, so often the person being talked with says, my cousin has that. And there's many different reactions to it. I talked to someone about a condition once and the person said to me, my cousin had that and he died at 21. And that person nearly died too that night. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not helpful, not helpful. The other thing is, of course, and Julie raised this, Initially, autoimmune diseases can run in families because of the genetic factors and the environmental factors. So, yeah, often we might have not, not have the condition, but your cousin might or your uncle might or your grandfather might. And, and that's, as we just talked about with your girls, you know, they might get one too. They, they're certainly, you know, it's on the cards, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's why we called it. My cousin has that. Sometimes also people do it like, like it's a trump card, you know, like, oh, you know, I know about it too. My cousin has that. Like, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Next. Yeah, you, you certainly work out the people that are good to talk to. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 for lots of reasons like that. Right. Did you have some family members that weren't perhaps so I didn't. I certainly had the understanding and the support from my family for sure. But I guess you can't see it. Mm-hmm. So, and I've also... Control freak. I will get up, get dressed, be ready, makeup on, regardless of how bad I feel, mm-hmm. because I can control that. And so you then, like, I don't walk around with a cast on my arm, yes. but 
I might really struggle to open that door. Probably you might door. be in extreme pain, but it's not yeah. visible to people. Yeah. Know? So mm-hmm. again, then as it went on longer, with some situations with family and friends, you're expected to be there and it's just really hard mm. and you can't mm. engage in the communication and I think you can't really understand how exhausting it is for that person. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so that I found really difficult. Yeah. yeah. And with friends as well. Yes. yes. Yeah, socialising yeah. was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And so explaining it to them, I mean, you know, like some people, I mean, fatigue isn't just feeling a bit tired and fatigue isn't just having a short nap and it goes away. You know, yeah. Fatigue is chronic, extreme. And I think for people who haven't had extreme but fatigue or extreme pain, it's hard for them to empathise. Yeah, and you just can't see it. You can't so unless see the person yeah. is telling you. Yeah. You don't know, so I couldn't hold it against oh, them. That's very nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of control um, are you? Yeah. Uh, if you're not very grudging. Passive, aggressive <laughs> control. <laughs> but I would find it very hard if I sort of knew I was going somewhere and I'm like, okay, I've got the kids and mm-hmm. I'm doing this and then mm-hmm. I'd get there and it would be different if, you know, more people were over and they hadn't yeah. they wanted to catch up, so I understand that, yes. but I would feel bombarded and that I just couldn't handle the situation. Yeah. 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 So I'd really try to just go to situations that I knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But as they were excited. This is all improved now, by the way. You can invite me. <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely on our party list. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think you're amazing. What would you say to people who are newly diagnosed? What would be your top five tips? Yeah. My top tip would be to find a doctor or rheumatologist that you have a connection with. Mm -hmm. The first one I found, I didn't, and they were very pro, oh, you're sore, we'll put you on more drugs, more drugs, more drugs. Um, I think you need that relationship because you're your best advocate. Mm -hmm. Again, they can't see or they can in a blood test, which Mm -hmm. won't necessarily translate to exactly how you're feeling. Yeah, so do shop around and... There's more that you can do like beyond what the doctor mm-hmm. and the medication mm-hmm. can give you. So I guess, yeah, talking to other people that have it and what they might have found have used, have that support network of people that understand, which I was just very lucky mm-hmm. that within my family and particularly my husband being so understanding. Yeah. Yeah, mm. that's not really five. No, that's okay. That's two. <laughs> Counting is hard two. for some mm. people. Yeah, let's try. <laughs> I was also thinking is like contacting a peak body to, yeah. you know, like the Arthritis Australia, for example, to see what resources they have or what ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the more information and then finding what suits you. Yeah, knowledge is yeah. power. And mm. also maybe even, to, um, you know, keeping a list of things to do when you're incredibly fatigued, you know, like, I'm exhausted today, but by Sunday I would like to be able to do whatever, you know, and yeah. kind of moving forward. And yeah. I think you've done really well with the way you explain to people, you know, I'm not able to do this today. And you don't make a big song and dance about it. You just say, this, this, this is my limitation today. I can't do that. Yeah. Because you did, right? If you, had, if you had your leg in a cast or a big gash on your arm or something, no one would let you do anything. You wouldn't be yeah. allowed to put the kettle on. No. But, <laughs> but because you it's invisible, yeah. The other thing is I've noticed with people with rheumatoid arthritis, when they're visibly in pain, 
it's actually quite confronting to other people. You know, they don't want to see yeah. you with a frown or they don't want to see you hunched over. And so I think that that is why there's a lot of reticence for, you know, acceptance and assistance. It's like, you know, like, oh, she's always frowning or, you know, she's always cold or something like that. And yeah. it's just what it is. But again, if it was, you know, a, a sexy symptom, if it was, if it was, <laughs> if it was a cast, if wow, only. can I, yeah, exactly, you know, can I sign your cast, you know, rather, rather yeah. than, oh, she's frowning or and she's And it's the longevity over. of it too, a broken leg six weeks later, yeah. like it was just yeah. a peak moment. Whereas this sort of goes on, it's so I do understand for other mm-hmm. people, it's like, are you still? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, and it yeah. is still. Yeah, I know a school principal who said about a, a grade six girl who had type 1 diabetes, the school principal said, when is she going to get over that? And yeah. this was someone who'd been a teacher for a very long time. There's no way this student was the first student she'd ever had with type 1 diabetes, but a complete lack of knowledge. When is she going to get over that? Yeah, well, that is a complete mm. lack of knowledge. Yeah. yeah, and the lack of empathy as well. Strange. Yep. Josh and Julie, can we talk a bit about your science and how it would fit into treating RA specifically? Well, <laughs> that's a question I actually had because Sarah has demonstrated that she's tried a few different therapies, but is now therapy three and is using diet and exercise to manage her disease. (laughs) We're coming in with the cell therapy. Is anyone going to want it? (laughs) Maybe if we all just, you know, had a healthy diet, yeah. Well, there's 100 (laughs) autoimmune diseases, so I'm pretty sure some people would like your cell therapy. And, of course, many people have tried diet and it hasn't improved. So I think there's a big fat place for cell therapy. Can you talk a bit about that, please, Josh? There are many factors that influence disease severity, including genetic predisposition and just luck sometimes. Like I think Sarah mentioned, nobody really knows why you develop an autoimmune disease, but it seems in Sarah's case that there was an inflammatory response to a virus, right? So it's an upregulation of your immune response. And that can, there's a lot of hypothesis about how an, an inflammatory system that can accidentally lead to the immune system attacking a different part of your body or a certain part of your body in rheumatoid arthritis, what happens is the immune system attacks your joints, right? Proteins within your joints. Mm-hmm. And what we are trying to do, including Sarah's, to develop a cell therapy that would specifically suppress the immune response that recognizes the joint and induces the inflammatory response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should say, I think we can say that me and Sarah have been working together for a long time now, like since 2008, 15 years. We both, wow. yeah, we both did a postdoc in Germany when I had a kid. She hadn't had her kids yet. Oh, wow. But yeah, so we, we go back quite a few years. Yeah, I didn't know that. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's really nice to have Sarah in the lab and her role in the lab, if I can speak about of it, to, to actually make our cells clinical trial ready. So we're developing this cell-based product. In, it's one thing to see it work in a lab and mm-hmm. in, uh, in models of disease, animal models of disease, but to actually put it into a human, there are a lot of steps that we need to do, a lot of processes. Mm-hmm. And it's not trivial. It's actually really difficult. And that's what Sarah's in charge of. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you get up really early? Because it, it will benefit <laughs> you. It's like, I'm going to do it today. <laughs> well, so back when I was on all of these drugs, which I, I'm not saying be drug-free or that you don't need it. I 100% acknowledge that I needed it when I was on it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just very fortunate and maybe... Um, my young age in being diagnosed could contribute 
I'm not sure, into how I was able to get off those. Mm-hmm. But at the time, if there was any other option, I would have taken it. Mm-hmm. I remember saying, and this sounds really crude, but if I had to just drink a slushy of dog poo every day, yeah. I would have done that over what I was doing. The pain was the so pain, pain yeah, fatigue. and then yep. all of the side effects, which were unknown. Look, when I would try to talk about it to a doctor, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not a known side effect. Well, pretty consistent. Yeah, and, and <laughs> <side> <laughs> what effect. I got. Yeah, I'm not making it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's, I'm like, I don't think I'm dreaming this. It's yeah, but that's belittling, um, isn't it? It's not a known side effect. Li- well, it so, actually yeah. is, because I just said so. <laughs> so, hence the change in rheumatologist yes, <laughs> yes, time. But yeah. I found one that was incredible, and I mm-hmm. really owe her for where I am now. So. If I was still rampant in disease, a cell therapy would be... Yeah, on your list. it would. I would be putting my hand up. Terrific. Thank you very much for today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's it's been a pleasure, Sarah. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Josh and Julie, thanks for being back again. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Sarah. I always rely on you. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone.